0: There were two more murders, 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a weird homicide. A scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird... Morning. Cop of murder. Power can make people do some of the most unimaginable damage. On April 17th, 1985, a woman who loved her job, loved her life, and was loved in return, went to work one day and lost her life to a group of men in power. Men who, as it stands, have not been fully punished for the crime that was committed. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. There are a few pieces to this complicated story that you need to know about to fully understand the crime that took place. The first piece belongs to Yvonne Joyce Fletcher— born June 15, 1958, in a village in Wiltshire as the oldest of four daughters born to Michael and Queenie Fletcher, a girl who, from the age of just three, knew she wanted nothing more than to be a police officer when she grew up. At the age of 18, the minimum required to apply for the force, Yvonne began putting in applications to a number of different departments— who all turned her down because, at 5 foot 2.5 inches, she was an inch and a half shorter than the minimum that was required. Just when she was about to consider a move to Hong Kong to join their force, Yvonne was accepted into a 20-week training course with the Metropolitan Police, and, after passing, she was placed on a standard two-year probationary period where she was posted at the Bow Street Station. She did her time, excelled as an officer, became a woman police constable, and met a man named Michael Little, who also worked at the Bow Street Station, and the two eventually got engaged. Now, to understand the full impact of this story, you need to understand some important pieces of history. Beginning in 1979, there had been no Libyan ambassador appointed to the United Kingdom, and instead, a, quote, revolutionary committee was in control of the Libyan embassy in London that convened at St. James Square. And by 1980, Libya's leader, Muammar Gaddafi, the chairman of the Revolutionary Command Council, had given orders to murder any exiles from Libya who, in his opinion, were traitors to their country. On his command, a number of bombs were planted in London news agents that sold papers where their articles were very critical of his rule. Around the same time, Musa Kusa. Who had been appointed as the secretary of the Libyan People's Bureau in London in 1979, was expelled from the UK the following year after stating in an interview with the Times that there were government plans to kill two opponents of Gaddafi's government, who lived in the UK. While the UK attempted to maintain a good relationship with Libya, they wanted to make sure they understood what was and what was not acceptable for the relations to continue. There was a slight decrease in criminal activity until 1983, when the Libyan People's Congress began a campaign against what they saw as the bourgeois habits of several people at the People's Bureau, particularly in the London office. Because of this, in February of 1983, the Bureau Chief and Cultural Attaché was called to Libya and in turn, and in turn, replaced with a four-man committee composed of students who had been involved in revolutionary activities in Libya." Soon after they began their work, they held a press conference in which they threatened any and all Libyan descendants. On March 10th and 11th of 1984, a number of bomb attacks took place in London and Manchester, attacking any critics of Gaddafi and his regime. And after denying any involvement, on March 16th, 1984, the British government deported five Libyans who had been connected to the crimes. Exactly a month later, two students, opponents of Gaddafi's rule, were executed in public hangings at the University of Tripoli, and as a response, many Libyan dissidents, fearful for their lives by this point, arranged for a demonstration to take place outside of the People's Bureau on St. James Square. The People's Bureau, upon hearing about the demonstration, contacted Tripoli and asked for advice on how to deal with the protesters. They told them to do nothing. Drag some dissidents into the building and assault them, or to shoot some of them to get their point across. Gaddafi himself said to open fire on the protesters, and the message was intercepted by the National Security Agency in the US and passed along to the government communications headquarters in the UK, who then forwarded it to MI5, who, for some reason, failed to pass it along to the local police or the home office. On the night of April 16th and 17th, a delegation from the People's Bureau attended a meeting to launch a complaint about the upcoming demonstration and ask for help in ceasing the gathering. They were told that the Metropolitan Police would be informed about the situation, but there was nothing they could do to stop the gathering. So on the morning of April 17th, 1984, police workmen set up a crowd control barrier at St. James Square and prepared for whatever would happen between the Libyan government and its dissidents. While they did so, one of the members of the People's Bureau told the workmen that there were guns inside of the building and that they were prepared to use them on the demonstrators. The information was passed along to the Metro Police who, for one reason or another, decided not to take any action. About 30 police officers were sent to St. James Square to monitor the demonstration, including both Yvonne Fletcher and her fiancé, who were to face these 75 or so protesters who were now gathering in front of the bureau building, most of which wore masks or balaclavas to ensure their identities remained a mystery as they chanted anti-Gaddafi slogans and thrusted their homemade signs in the air. They were met with counter-demonstrations of Gaddafi supporters who had been gathered by the People's Bureau and stationed just outside the building, all of which was being watched by television cameras that had been invited by the Libyans. At 10.18 a.m., automatic gunfire was discharged from two windows of the People's Bureau aimed at the protesters. The shots wounded 11 of the dissidents, and one of the rounds entered through Yvonne Fletcher's back. As the bullet traveled through her thoracic diaphragm, liver, and gallbladder, Yvonne's fellow police officers rushed to her aid while the demonstrators were being moved onto a different street. She was eventually moved out of the fray and, during the journey, fell unconscious. After being resuscitated by a co-worker, Yvonne was rushed to the hospital at 10.40 a.m., and while still lying on the operating table, she finally succumbed to her injuries. In the meantime, police continued to evacuate the area while armed police took up positions facing the People's Bureau and on the surrounding roofs. Because the Prime Minister was on an official visit to Portugal at the time of the shooting, all of the responsibility in handling the crisis fell into the hands of the Home Secretary, Leon Britton, who watched on as the events spread to Libya and into Tripoli, where about 60 members of the Revolutionary Guard Corps surrounded the British Embassy and put the premises under siege, trapping 25 staff members inside. Gaddafi later appeared on Libyan television and blamed the British police and security forces for the attack, and over the next week, five bombs were planted all around London. Four were defused, and the last, stationed at a baggage area at Heathrow Airport, went off but injured no one. After everything happened, the United Kingdom could no longer trust their relationship with Libya and requested access to the People's Bureau, which was denied by the Libyan government. On April 22, 1984, Britain informed the Libyan government that all diplomatic ties were now severed and that they had until midnight on April 29th to leave the country. During the 11-day siege that took place between Britain and Libyan's governments, Yvonne Fletcher's helmet and those of four other officers were left lying in the square, a powerful image that became a media symbol for the tragedy that had just taken place. On April 27, 1984, acting against orders, an officer went back to the scene and retrieved the helmets. Avanz was placed on her coffin at her funeral, a funeral attended by about 600 police officers who came to pay their respects. With Libyan officials officially vacating the People's Bureau, police forensics teams finally entered and searched the square. Within the building, they found gunshot residue from two of the windows, confirming that the shots came from the officials inside and on the first floor was a spent cartridge. They later found nearly 5,000 rounds of ammunition, three semi-automatic pistols, four 38 caliber revolvers, and magazines for Sterling submachine guns. Despite knowing where the shot came from, the actual gunman remains a mystery to this day. In July of 1999, the Libyan government publicly accepted responsibility for the murder and paid 250 pounds to Avon's family as compensation. They also agreed to support the investigation into her murder, no matter who was found responsible. Though there were a number of promising developments over the year, and a number of reviews, interviews, and inquests, two men, Matak Muhammad Matak and Abdul Qadir al-Baghdadi, were both named as suspects and charged with conspiracy to commit murder, both of whom escaped out of the embassy before it was closed off by police the day of the shooting. However, following the 2011 Libyan civil war and the collapse of Gaddafi's regime, it was reported that Abdul Qadir had been killed. The following month, the Sunday Telegraph named Salah Adim Khalifa, a high-level member of the Gaddafi regime, as the student who shot Yvonne Fletcher. Then, in November of 2015, the Metro Police arrested Dr. Saleh Ibrahim Mabrouk, a former member of the Gaddafi government, who had claimed political asylum in the UK in 2011. The charges, however, were eventually dropped. In 2021, the High Court of Justice, during a civil case brought up against him, determined that Saleh Mabrouk was jointly liable for Yvonne's murder. Despite this, no one has officially been convicted of Avon's murder. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to a terrible thing happened on April 18th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime-obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.